conversation. Hello, and welcome to CCA on the Air. My name is Yolanda Watson-Spiva, and I serve as the president of Complete College America. Joining me today is Dr. F. Du Bois Bowman, Dean of the University of Michigan School of Public Health. In this conversation, we will dive deeper into issues of equity, the exciting 3-2 accelerated program that the University of Michigan School of Public Health has instituted in collaboration with Spelman College, and the University of Michigan's newly announced anti-racism initiative, plus a whole lot more. I'm gonna shift gears a little bit, but still on the same topic. And I was thinking about some of the inequities that really were put on full display during the pandemic, right? We know that there are many, but there were some that were particular to the public health crisis that gives us pause in terms of one, representation in the field, right? So in terms of medicine, um, public health, all of those sort of allied health um, feels as well. And then the communities that folks serve. So when we talked about access to testing early on, um, access to vaccines, when those came online, um, all of that, you could almost make, draw a direct correlation between access in those realms to um, zip codes, right? And how they were disparately um, serviced in terms of the communities of color, but also in terms of who was able to serve them. So when I think about um, who makes decisions, who's in charge, right? Who's in power um, and who's empowered. Um, I think about what the pipeline for STEM looks like and how do we ensure that, because when decisions get made, if you have folks that are representative of certain communities at the table, they're more likely to think of those communities in their decision-making, right? And so we know that most systems are designed for the types of outcomes that they want. And if we, this is really a design problem, if we design the structures differently up front, we can certainly impact the outcomes downstream. So when I think about the underrepresentation of Blacks, Latinos, Indigenous folks in STEM and public health fields, that concerns me because I think that they could really, if there were greater representation, we could really influence um, in a proactive way, uh, better outcomes for those communities. So can you talk a little bit about the underrepresentation in STEM, why more students of color, especially black students are not going into STEM fields and public health and what can higher ed do in order to really create more equitable access to these fields? It's a great question. It's a great question. And I'm going to spend some time actually, um, you know, to begin fleshing out some of the detail that really established, uh, you know, um, that, that really motivated uh, part of your, your, your question. And that's just some of what we've seen play out in the pandemic. And then I'll come around and, and, and answer the, the, the second question. So kind of dividing your question into to two parts, you know, and, and so I'll, I'll, we talked about, generally speaking, what public health is, what it seeks to, to, to accomplish. And, and so at the core of public health is a, a concept that we think about as social determinants of health. And, you know, these are the, the conditions, the environments in which we, we live, we work, we learn, we play, we eat. Um, and they have a, you know, ultimately, they have a significant impact on the health outcomes of individuals and communities. And there's been some work done in, in, in public health where 
um, thinking about the overall health of communities, there's been an attempt to try to attribute uh, the overall health of communities uh, to, 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 to sort of different factors. And by some accounts, clinical care would, would, would uh, uh, be responsible for about 20% of the overall health of communities, right? And so there's this big uh, complement of that as we think about policies and health behaviors and, and environments and other things like that, that, that really are ultimately key drivers of our, of our overall health. And so um, as therefore we think about um, uh, this country, uh, communities within this country, um, uh, the legacy of, you know, uh, historic uh, elements of racism in this country, that those things will naturally, therefore, give rise to health disparities. Yes. And so when you drop a pandemic on top of that, um, you will see many health inequities like those that you mentioned that are not inherent to the disease itself, but more just a reflection or a manifestation of some of the underlying um, uh, societal uh, inequities that, that, that are in place. And so just to, you know, to provide a little bit of, of uh, clarity or coloring around that for, mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the state of Michigan, African-Americans make up roughly 14% of the population uh, early in the pandemic, what we saw was that African Americans accounted for 33% of the cases and 41% of the deaths, mm -hmm. right? Just as, as, as one example. Um, there's no biological basis for that, right? It, it's a matter of, um, uh, you know, factors like access to care. Uh, factors like exposure, who are some of the frontline workers who had less agency and control over their work environments. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the, you know, uh, in fact, a faculty member here actually did some work early on looking at some of the disparate, disparate rates of, uh, of, of COVID-19 and trying to make links and, and found that, uh, that that exposure played a, a really significant role. So those are, you know, that, that that's one example. And, the, you know, those that I mentioned are early in the pandemic. Um, some of those things have evolved, but we still have tremendous disparities with now, you know, at this stage, over 44 million cases, uh, which is just remarkable. And, and as you're aware, over 700,000 deaths, but but still disparities in how those have played out. So, you know, in terms of, of, of deaths in this country, um, the, the, uh, the rates for African-Americans are twice that for white Americans, for Hispanic Americans, 2.3 times that of white Americans, for Native Americans, 2.4 times that of white Americans. And so we see sort of across the board how, how those disparities play out. And so as I think about public health, and now in an academic sense, um, in, in higher education, uh, it is, it is um, really like kind of in core support of our mission in public health to improve health and equity for all that we think about having a diverse workforce. And mm -hmm. if we don't have a diverse workforce, I think we fall short on our, on our mission. And, and so uh, I think it, it, it's something that we all have to uh, acknowledge, we all have to embrace. There are 
there's been progress toward that end, but still a lot more to do. And it's not just about having um, a more diverse work uh, workforce. It's one of the things that needs to happen, but we need to make sure that we train all of our, our learners uh, to be able to acknowledge some of these root causes, acknowledge the role of, of uh, kind of structural racism uh, and, and manifestations of structural racism and in, in, in intersections and in, in, in health. And so, you know, kind of going back to uh, your first question about underrepresentation in STEM fields, underrepresentation of public health, you know, I'd, I'd point really to, the, to some of the same factors of um, those historic drivers, right? Higher, uh, higher ed, institutions of higher ed, uh, some of the oldest, most elite uh, institutions in our in our country were designed in ways where there was limited access, yes. um, not um, because of uh, 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 unintentional bias, but by design. Right, black students were not welcome in those institutions. Jewish students were not welcome in those institutions. And, and I mentioned that not, you know, it, it wasn't isolated to those institutions, but as institutions of higher ed began to uh, open up and expand across the South and uh, now, you know, thinking about Midwest and, and other things like that, that, that that was sort of the design and blueprint for those. And I think we're, you know, uh, much of the legacy of that uh, still extends today. And I'll have to uh, point to a conversation that I'll recall, that I recall from, uh, my time as a junior faculty member, and mm -hmm. I was at a, a reception with, you know, the then president of that that university, and made his way over to, to me at some point. And, and uh, he mentioned something to me that I could tell alarmed him. He had recently uh, reviewed the charter of that institution, mm -hmm. and in that institution, it was up into the 1970s that that institution in its charter was prohibited from admitting black or Jewish students. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's not just these institutions at their founding, but a really long history that followed uh, that's not so distant from where we are now. And so, you know, so I, so I think that, that those are um, some of the elements that we have to be mindful of, that we have to work to try to um, uh, navigate, in some cases, dismantle. And, and those are things that might overtly um, be, you know, be factors that, that, that limit access. But other, other times are things that just are a part of what we do, a part of what I learned, a part of what you learned. Uh, and we have to go back and, and, and kind of think about, well, why do we do it that way? Well, what are the benefits? What are the goals? How well do those things uh, address their goals, things like standardized testing, um, you know, is, is one thing that comes to mind. And so at, at the University of Michigan, you know, we're in the process of doing that kind of self examination in the in the School of Public Health, and we'll, we'll try to take measures, uh, you know, to ensure that that we are in a position to provide broader, broader access. Absolutely. And, you know, of course, with us being focused on college completion, we know that um, the data have laid bare the fact that um, completion outcomes are going to be, you know, declining over the course of the next several years as a result of the pandemic because of the individuals, individual learners, whether they're adults, um, learners, if they're traditional age students, parent learners, et cetera, having competing obligations, you know, trying to pay for college, but also focus on college uh, may not be the highest priority. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Quick question, just based on your um, prior service on um, advisory boards for the National Institute of Health's programs that have targeted underrepresented minority undergraduate students um, at HBCUs. And I know you've also worked with the NIH's diversity programs. Um, that will hopefully help um, as the nationally as we're focused on um, the pipeline of STEM students. Can you talk a little bit about that work and how you believe that's having an impact, potentially a positive impact on the pipeline of students who will be coming into health fields? Sure, no, absolutely. And, and um, you know, tying it back to your, your earlier question, you know, this is one of the, the important uh, responses, I think institutions of higher ed can make to thinking about um, uh, overcoming some of those historical uh, barriers and, and, and think taking measures to address the, the, the dearth of, uh, uh, of, of underrepresented students in STEM fields and you know, in, in, in public health in this case. And so, um, it, it, you know, I'll say, I'll start by just talking about um, uh, the importance of doing this also for societal good, which we yes. touched on earlier, right? And so this is not just a mere service to individuals who have previously not had access. This is actually what we need as a country uh, to ensure that we're addressing core aspects of you know, public health, in my case, but across the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. Education, other other uh, areas, and so um, it, it's a it's an important area. It's something that I had an early start in, and could appreciate the value of because, in part, I was a beneficiary of of a program like this, and mm -hmm. being able to experience that from a student side as an undergraduate student at Morehouse College, and having. Uh, as a product of that program, uh, a, a greater appreciation for research as a as a career. Um, it actually uh, it was through that mechanism that I actually got introduced to public health and you know learned a little bit more about what is it, what what public health is, what you can do in public health, in many different directions. And so so it was kind of part of my natural thinking uh about the benefits of that because i'm you know i experienced it at first hand and so as a as a faculty member kind of early on in my career was linked to um a program that grew out of the one that i actually participated in and and, and so had a chance to serve as an advisory uh, in an advisory capacity for a program within the atlanta university center uh called the uh at that time supported by the national institutes of health but at that time called the core program career opportunities and research and had a, a chance to work directly with students mentor students and then also uh provide you know some some input in an advisory capacity uh programmatically uh, and then since that time, you know, have continued to stay very, very closely involved um, through, you know, throughout my, my career, uh, having uh, opportunity to serve as uh, to actually lead programs and, and serve as a principal investigator uh, for for similar kinds of programs. One is the was the initiative for maximizing student uh, development or IMSD. During my time at at Columbia, there was another program that uh, was in my department in my time at Columbia called uh, Biostatistics and Epidemiology Summer Training, uh, or BEST as we refer to it. And so those are, are mechanisms that are all really geared toward the same goal of, of 
of uh, trying to increase the number of historically represented, underrepresented uh, students who received doctoral training in public health and in, in, in STEM and biostatistics. And at, at Michigan, we also house uh, several programs that work really toward the same kind of goals. We have uh, a longstanding program, roughly 30 years plus, uh, called the Summer Enrichment Program that has done an amazing job of producing leaders in the healthcare space. Mm -hmm. And these are people who have gone on to, you know, become, uh, you know, presidents of, of hospital systems or CEOs, uh, you know, of, of hospitals and, and, and the like. We also, uh, in partnership with the Centers for Disease Control, have a, a program called the Future Public Health Leaders Program, or FLIP, uh, is the way we pronounce that the acronym. But again, mm -hmm. toward toward the you know, similar types of goals, and, and then we have another uh, big data summer institute. And so, so I think these it, it, it's so important to 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 think about opportunities for training through these vehicles, where we provide students exposure uh, to a to a field at a time that they are still kind of refining their own interest in you know what they want to do in, in in terms of advanced graduate studies and, and ultimately in terms of, of, of the career, it can be, um, you know, particularly impactful uh, during during that time. And, and then another uh, partnership that I'd like to talk about uh, that I'm super excited about is a, a partnership with Spelman College. And this is something that we've been working on very recently and was finally um, uh, sort of formalized in, 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 into a partnership. And, and this is you know, it, it's not the same model of uh, kind of a, a summer uh, pipeline program where we have students for, for 10 weeks or, or so over the summer, but the partnership with Spelman instead is it, it's sort of a three-two framework where uh, students who are at Spelman College uh, can spend three years at Spelman College, two years at the University of Michigan, obtain a bachelor's degree from Spelman and then a master uh, of science degree from, from the University of Michigan School of Public Health in a total of five years. And so I'm, I'm super excited about that program. It's a, a program that uh, will provide, a, a, again, this new and wonderful opportunity for students, but it's embedded in a, a broader partnership between institutions. And so, you know, I've been working with uh, some of our uh, faculty counterparts at, at Spelman College to think about other touch points, faculty collaborations, other kinds of exchanges that, that I think will really help to, you know, to, to strengthen the partnership, but then contribute really to, uh, you know, to advancing opportunities for, uh, you know, for, for advanced training for, uh, you know, for, for undergraduate students there. Well, that is tremendous. And you know, I'm excited and ecstatic about that development as a Spelman alumna. So thank you for um, your leadership in that regard. And I would love to actually see that program expand. Did you, do you all have the capacity to do the 3-2 program with other institutions, particularly historically black colleges and universities? We absolutely do um, in many ways. I think what we have built, um, the design of it will scale naturally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it, it made sense for us to start in a focused manner. Um, I, I have to give so much credit to our partners at, at Spelman because, you know, the, the concept and some of the early conversations 
uh, occurred just before the pandemic. And so, you know, we were able to move things along at a, at a time that I know was, was, was crazy for, for both uh, our institution and theirs, but, uh, you know, but, but Spelman really excited for Spelman to be our first partner. Um, we certainly want to explore opportunities to expand that, uh, perhaps other institutions in Atlanta University Center, uh, but I think even, even beyond really mu much of what we've built um, by way of curriculum, other things like that, easily, you know, would, 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 would uh, expand. And so excited to, you know, to, to, to get to that consideration at the appropriate time. Absolutely. And Complete College America, as you know, is all about scaling. So we're happy to be a, a thought partner in that process as well. Absolutely. Um, I know the university, um, the, the University of Michigan School of Public Health recently announced a multi-part faculty training initiative also to confront racism at the institutional level. And so while you guys are rocking on all cylinders, developing these three, two programs, you're partnering with community. I was excited to hear about this anti-racism initiative, especially because it involves faculty and um, looking at anti-racism in public health. It, so I was just wondering, could you share more about that and, and how this work came about? Sure. And the first thing I wanna do um, is give credit to a couple of faculty members here in the School of Public Health, uh, Dr. Melissa Creary and Dr. Paul Fleming have really been at the forefront of, uh, of, of this effort and, and both have backgrounds in, uh, in health equity and spent their careers uh, observing the ways in which racism creates barriers to health for, for communities. And so I think that is sort of at the heart of uh, inspiring their efforts. And so the, at the, the, the center of this uh, overall initiative, there's an online course that they developed and it's called uh, Health Equity Via Anti-Racist Teaching. And so that the acronym, if you follow that, um, uh, the, the name of the course is HEART. And so we often refer to it as, as, as HEART. And the, the goal of HEART is to, to train public health instructors on how to implement anti-racist teaching principles and reduce barriers to anti-racist teaching methods. And, and, and so they're um, stated more simply, they're sort of a train the trainer model. Mm -hmm. And it will serve as I think an important resource and tool for our faculty here in public health, but not just uh, in public health here at the university, hopefully, um, uh, faculty at other schools of public health, but then across other disciplines, right? There's a there's a health element to the work, uh, but these conversations uh, really transcend health boundaries. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I'm 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 excited that uh, for the for the potential uh, of of this effort, and it'll be rolled out as a as a MOOC, you know, a massive online open course. And the you know, as I understand, it's going to be a self paced. Uh, module-based kind of online course, which will allow uh, participants to be able to gain some awareness of anti-racist teaching principles, um, you know, with the goal being just to empower them to implement these principles and practices in their, in their own teaching. Well, yes, please let us know uh, what the ways are that our members of our alliance can join that, because I'm certain that they would love to learn more about how they can implement something similar on their campuses and, and also for their individual professional development. Absolutely. This is going to be my last question, Dr. Bowman. I have enjoyed this conversation thoroughly, but um, a couple of things are some, some of my observations from our call, our time today. 
Uh, one is that um, your face lights up every time you mention students and faculty. So I love that at the heart of a dean, I know those on because this is a, an audio recording, folks won't be able to see you, but I just wanna share with our audience that your face lights up every time you mention students and faculty. And so I'm ecstatic about that, that to know that a Dean still has the faculty member's heart and is focused on students. So that's number one. Number two is I also saw you, your eyes light up when you talk about being a Morehouse alum and your time at the institution. And so I, I think, and I also, you know, we've talked about anti-racism, we've talked about equity, we've talked about community. So to me, I, I have to believe that your experiences as an HBCU alum have informed your thinking. I know it's informed your career trajectory, et cetera. But um, you know, when you think about the intersection between public health, higher education, and social justice, it feels like the role you are in is really the, um, the, 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 the crystallization of those three pieces. And so um, just I think about you know, a lot of times we've recently been seeing HBCUs um, highlighted, especially after Kamala Harris became the vice president of the United States. Um, and I think there was a renewed interest in HBCUs. But if you could just talk from your point of view of, about HBCUs writ large, but also from your experience at Morehouse, how that has helped and impacted your work in public health, higher education, and social justice. Yeah, it's a great question and something that, you know, um, I value so much just as a part of my journey and simply stated, you know, it was a transformative experience for me and one where like often happens during those collegiate years, you know, you grow so much of it as an individual, you learn so much about yourself, you have a chance to have rich conversations with others uh, kind of expanding your worldview. So, you know, so all of those are sort of important elements, but to be able to do it in an environment that is um, as motivating, inspiring, and nurturing uh, as a historically Black college, um, you know, I'm just grateful to, to have that experience and one that, you know, I, I uh, could feel at the time, but over, over the years have, have just, you know, it, it really was just my appreciation has deepened for what that experience has, has meant. And, and, you know, one of the, another thing I'll, I'll, I'll just mention, uh, growing up as, um, a, a black male in society, um, I found my time at Morehouse College, uh, 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 historically black college, uh, all male institution. It was it was really the first time where I remember like feeling that race did not play a part of my existence, my activities. You know, you could just sort of pull race out of the equation, and that was like such a revelation to me. Um, and, and, and thinking about, uh, you know, that experience and, and, you know, something that, again, I, I, I really, uh, cherish to allow that, that, that sort of, uh, uh, that, that growth and, and, and evolution during that time. One of the things that I'll say, uh, in terms of how that experience has impacted my work directly, um, you know, I, I alluded to the fact earlier my exposure to public health mm -hmm. came while I was a student at Morehouse. Uh, it came uh, by way of an individual who 
was already well into his career, uh, the late Dr. Bill Jenkins, also a Morehouse College graduate, illustrious career in public health, working at the Centers of, uh, for Disease Control, who just recognized the need for more diversity in the public health workforce, mm -hmm. right? And so he was giving of his time uh, working with other uh, professionals, epidemiologists, biostatisticians at the Centers for Disease Control to really build out an opportunity for exposure of, of uh, students at, at Morehouse College, at Spelman College, at, 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 at uh, Clark Atlanta University. And, and so it, it, that has left a, a great impression on me, but also a sense of responsibility Right. And, and having, you know, someone who was so busy in his career, give what he did not only to me, but 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 so many other individuals uh, has inspired me to want to want to do that uh, for others. The other thing I'll, I'll say, you know, immediately upon leaving Morehouse and entering you know, graduate program and, and statistics and biostatistics, uh, I go from uh, being in a situation where um, I'm one of you know, I, I'm in advanced classes, let's say in mathematics as my major was mathematics and mm -hmm. you know, surrounded by black students to then as a graduate student throughout my entire time, never having another black student in my class. Yes. And reflecting about why is that? And for some who may not have just left Morehouse College, the, you know, issues with pipeline. I knew there wasn't an issue. There was not an issue with paucity of talent. I just left it. Right. And I knew that those individuals who I looked up to, who I admired, my classmates who pushed me to excel were out doing great things in the world. And so for me, um, as I, you know, attended conferences and kind of looked around the room, I immediately would come, you know, to the consideration of how can we tap into the talent that I know is there and try to leverage that talent in, in our efforts to, you know, to diversify, um, you know, the, the, the profession. And so that, that has stayed with me. It still remains with me, um, you know, and, and is one of the things that even inspired ideas around our, you know, the, the, the partnership with Spelman College that I mentioned. Dr. Bowman, this has been a tremendous pleasure. It, it really warms my heart. I appreciate all that you're doing in the field and also your efforts to pay it forward with other students. Thank you for your time today. Absolutely. It's been my immense pleasure to, to speak with you. Thank you.